So those of you who have been with us since February, uh, you know that we have been in this series called The Story, and we are going to wrap it up today. I realized that when we started this uh, series, I was about the same time my wife told me she was pregnant with our third child, and uh, so I have committed to not doing a series that would last this long again um, for that very reason. And also, uh, so you know, like the due date is tomorrow. And so this means for, our, for us, by, like the baby could come at any time. We have an EMT here uh, this morning. So Steve, I'm turning to you if it happens. But if I get like the signal, um, I'm out of here. Uh, and we have a quick backup plan if, if we need that to happen. Those of you who don't know, the reason that we would have to evacuate so quickly is that our last child was born at home on accident. Uh, so my wife uh, doesn't mess around uh, when it comes to having children. Let's just put it like that. We were going to put some trash bags over there for her or make her, make her sit in the baptismal, but we've decided not to today. As we talk about the creation of my child, uh, we're going to begin with wrapping this series up, and we're going to begin with creation. What I've tried to do in this uh, series is kind of show you uh, the story, uh, kind of the narrative of Scripture. And today we're going to talk, we're, I just want to show you like some major movements in the Scripture as I kind of try to wrap this up um, and kind of show what like, God has been up to in the midst of, uh, to be honest, just a lot of our unfaithfulness and us as people just not wanting to be uh, in the presence of God, and yet God wants to be in our presence. And so um, we're going to begin here with Genesis, and it's where we began today. And so if you have your notes with you, what we're going to discover here is that God, when he created the earth, by the way, like God created the earth because God wanted to be present with his people. God creates creation, and it's good, and God wants to be in the midst of it, and that was his plan. Genesis 1, uh, 1 through 4 says this, and I, I realize I cut out verse 3 of your notes, and I probably shouldn't here, and I'm going to explain why here in a moment, but it says this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. And so what we discover in Scripture, uh, that God is preexistent, that God exists before the earth, and he is the creator of all that you see as you walk around on this planet. Uh, God has created it so that you and I could live in this place. And I get asked the question, um, this, is a, this is an interesting philosophical question, but like who existed before God? And the answer that the Bible gives us is that God existed, and that nothing or no one exists before God. God is not created, but God is the creator. He is pre-existing before creation. And so we discover this as we read the Bible. It just says, in the beginning, God here. And God is the creator of the heavens and earth. And we are told that the Spirit of God is in the midst of all of this creation here, and that he is hovering over the created order here. He's, over, he's, he's hovering over the waters. And then God, and this is why I shouldn't have cut out verse 3. What we are told is, then God said, let there be light. And so what we discover from the very beginning in Scripture is that when God speaks, things happen. Like out of God speaking, things are created, and things are created new, and things are remade. And so that is one of the reasons we consider like the preaching of God's word and God's written word so important, because we believe that the Spirit is at work 
and inspiring the writers and the words of the text and the moments in which you hear the spoken word creating and recreating our lives and your hearts and our minds here. So in the beginning, God is at work creating um, the earth and his spirit is hovering. It's there and God is speaking. And what after he is speaking, what he says here as he sees the light, he says it is good. And so in creation, what we see is as God is creating the world, he just keeps saying like it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. And so what we see here is God creating a good creation that he wants to be in the midst of. God created the earth to dwell here. God created you to dwell among you. God created you to be in relationship with you. And at creation, what we find is God is in perfect relationship with creation so that all those who are created can enjoy the presence of God. And so I've given, um, I've, I've kind of made like some just pictures here for us to see. Um, we've got some images here behind me, but on the screen. So Don, follow along with me here. Go to the picture of just the earth here. And so in creation, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the heaven and earth being created. We see day and night. We see the de- seventh day holy. And this is supposed to remind us of the presence of God in our midst as we too consider the seventh day and take a day to be with God. And then in the garden we see Uh, the tree of life and the river of life, and you'll see how all of this fits together as we continue. Now, as you move through the scripture, something happens fairly quickly, and what what we discover is kind of the next move is the fall. Now, in the fall, evil is introduced. What we discover, we discover Satan, we discover sin, we discover death, and we discover a curse. In the fall, if you've never heard that word, basically what takes place is creation is marred when Adam distrusts the words of God, and gives credence to the words of the serpent. And in many ways, as we think of sin, what sin is, is us rejecting the words of God and not trusting God's words, but rather trusting the words of Satan. So the serpent asked Adam and Eve questions like this. Did God really say? Right? Uh, these questions will pop in our head, too, as we decide to follow the Lord or not really follow the Lord? Did God really say? Part of the series is about reminding us to trust in God's word in our own life and to respond to the God's word as God seeks to redeem us and restore us from the fall into a right relationship with him. Now, as you can see, after the fall, something happens in Genesis 4 and 11. <laughs> we just discover that this is, this is real, all right? Cain, kills his brother Abel right away. Cain and Abel are the the children of Adam and Eve. What we see is that in the human heart lies a a great evil and a great proclivity to separate themselves from God and not follow after the Lord. Now you all just know that your lives are not as they should be, the world is not as it should be, and sin is real. And we discover this very quickly in the scriptures. And the fall teaches this to be true. And during this, we are separated from the presence of God in a very big way because we choose to be separated. Another reason is because God is holy and he is sinless and cannot be around it. So the third movement here, and I want to show you how these two kind of just fit together here. So you have creation, you have fall, 
And then the third movement here is about God not giving up on the people who have began to walk away from the Lord. God doesn't give up on what he loves and the people he loves. And so what God does is he calls Abraham to start a new nation. And um, God is going to give Abraham land, and he's going to try to bless Abraham. Some of you um, maybe uh, remember Abraham from when you were in Sunday school, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. <laughs> All right, yeah, this is why I don't listen. This is why I don't lead worship. And I am one, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? Right arm, left arm. All right, here we go. So what we're doing here with Father Abraham, or what God is doing with Abraham and these people, basically what he wants to do is he's trying to reestablish a relationship with them. And in the book of Romans, what we are told is, one of the ways in which these people are going to be a blessing, or specifically God's people, is, is that God is going to give them his word. So these people are going to be the carriers of God's word to the world. And God promises Abraham that he is going to be a blessing to all the world. These, this, this is in your notes in Genesis 12. We see God kick this off here as he tells Abraham, by faith, to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make your name great, or I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and all the families on the earth shall be blessed by you. And so what happens from Abraham is God begins this nation of people, all of Abraham's sons, his descendants, um, he takes them and he gives them a land, and God gives them the Ten Commandments, he gives them the covenant, and he He gives them his word to follow so that they might be a country that blesses the countries around them as they follow the Lord. But what ultimately happens? Uh, To be truthful, for most of their history, they're just disobedient, and they don't follow the Lord. But but God doesn't give up on them, and he's not going to give up on them. At the point where they're most successful is when King David is king. And what David wants to do is he wants to build a temple so that God's presence will be known to the people around them. And God actually then tells David something very interesting because God's not going to allow David to, to build a temple. Um, but he, he tells David that this temple, that it will hold the presence of God, will come at some point. And it will, it will come from the offspring of David, but won't come from David himself. And because of David's sin and some of the things that David had been up to in his life. But we see the words of the prophet here, Nathaniel, to David. And this is what David is, or this is what Nathaniel is telling David um, in concern to the temple. He says, David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up offspring after you. And so in other words, David, after you're dead, okay, I'm I'm, going to give you your children after you. This is what's going to happen with them. Uh, They'll come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I'm going to establish the kingdom of your children, and he will build a house for my name, and I will, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, this is really interesting. Now, what happens after David dies is Solomon takes over um, and begins to, to lead Israel, and Solom, Solomon builds a temple, okay? And so, when we think about prophecy and biblical prophecy, there's, there's usually like two different things going on. There's usually like the immediate word, 
that's going to take place, and then there's a lot of times the future thing that's going to take place. Now, David's son, Solomon, builds a temple. However, we know that this temple doesn't last forever here. And so how is God going to have David's offspring's throne last forever? What is going on here? And this is where Jesus comes in as we move through the scriptures. So you see this, what's happening here? We have creation, fall, Israel, and then the next movement is we have Jesus, who is the son of Abraham and the son of David here. Jesus' throne is going to be the one that lasts forever here. Jesus is going to be this son. And Jesus shows up in the middle of God's story here. And what Jesus is and who Jesus is is God showing back up on earth and God being present with creation. Jesus, in other words, is the Word made flesh. John 1, 1 and 2 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made. And so what we are told here is that Jesus is the Creator who comes down to be with creation. He's God who desires to be with us. Now here's something that's very interesting, and we see this narrative throughout all of Scripture. God shows up, and God is present, but once again, the creation rejects him. Once again, God makes himself known, but the creative order, we people, we put Jesus on the cross here. Jesus, although he was perfect, and God who came to show that he loved us, we turned our back on him. And it's very important as a church that we just realize that God wants to be in our midst. God wants to be in your life, and God wants to change your life, right? And to be very careful not to ever reject Christ when he shows up. Jesus is the obedient son of Adam, Abraham, and David. He is everything Israel wasn't, and the world killed him for it. But God raised him. Jesus here shows us the depths of our sin and yet the depths of God's love when he goes to the cross. Jesus is God sending the Son and showing us how much the Father loves us, and also the Son laying down his life, showing you how much he loves you. So the movement works like this. You have creation, you have the fall, you have Jesus's perfect life, his death for our sins, his resurrection for our hope, and then what happens next? The church. Jesus institutes the church. The church is extremely important. God sends forth his church after the ascension of Jesus. So the church then consists of the people of God who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, who believes that he is Christ the Messiah. When we talked about the church, one of the things um, that I reminded you of is in Matthew 16, when Jesus is going around and he is asking, he's asking Peter, and he's asking the disciples, he's saying, hey, who do people say I am? And what Peter, Peter says is he says that you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah. And, and Jesus says, you are right, Peter. And he says, I didn't reveal this to you, but God revealed this to you. 
And, and so Jesus is acknowledging that the church is made up of people who confess that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God who has died for their sins, who is prompted by the Holy Spirit to say that and to confess that. And then he tells Peter this in verse 18 in Matthew 16. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, hell shall not prevail against it. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the church belongs to him. And what has taken place through the church is that the church, that Jesus through the church, has taken back what hell has stolen, what evil, what sin, what the curse, what the fall has set into motion. The church are the people of God coming together for the redemptive activities of Jesus. And so this morning, right, you heard about fifth quarter, why we do that. You got to hear from Nancy about me, Moo, and you, and why she ministers to them. You, you know why you do and help participate in Joanne's Pantry, the Breckmockers, how they're called to a no, new ministry. Like We are called as the church to take back what hell has stolen. And so here's how the movements work here. Once again, go ahead and go to the next slide. Here's just so you can see this. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, the church. And then we move to really kind of a um, two more movements. But under this is this expectation, over this is this expectation that Jesus will return. We are the church and we are waiting for Jesus to return. And at the return of Jesus, two things are very clear. There's a lot of things that are unclear when Jesus returns. But one thing is clear um, as we get to the book of Revelation is this, especially in, the, in chapter 20, which book, book ends the Bible, and I'm going to show you what this looks like here in a moment. But Revelation 20 helps bookend Revelation 3. And what we learn here is that Jesus has returned, and what he is doing is he is judging and he is casting out all evil. And this is what we're told in Revelation 20, 12 through 15. It says, And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now this is a truth. Obviously, we don't talk about a whole lot in the church anymore. But it's, it's, it's very real in the scriptures. And, you know, I stated it like this in your notes, but in Revelation 20, what we must acknowledge is that there will be a day of judgment. Um, Jesus talks, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus talks uh, about hell more than he talks uh, about heaven. He talks about judgment more than he even talks about heaven here. And the truth is, all of us, one day will stand before God and we will give an account for what we have done. And those who have decided not to trust Jesus will be thrown into the lake of fire. Right? Well, this, is, this is a theme all throughout the scriptures. Hebrews 9, 27 says this, Each person is destined to die once, and then comes the judgment. Now, we are told that we can be saved from this judgment if we accept Christ for our salvation. And so as we get to the end of the scriptures, and as we kind of end this, this series together here, one of my questions for you all and for all of us and something that, that everyone needs to consider is are you ready to stand before God? 
Because there will come a day when all of us will stand before the Lord. And we will have to give an account to him for whether or not we have received Christ as our Savior. We will be able to stand in his presence and say that you've received Jesus as your Savior for your sin. How will you answer that? I want to show you the final progression here and kind of how this book ends um, and all of this. So you see creation, the fall, Israel, Jesus, the church, final judgment. And so what we see God doing here in the final judgment, um, by the way, just so you can see, like this is a really neat thing about the scriptures here, is that in the third chapter of the Bible, we see the fall. And the third to last chapter of the Bible, what we see is everything that's happened in the fall being judged and cast out. And it's, it's, go- it's not any longer going to be there. Like, God is getting rid of all this evil, all this sin, all of the broken creation. And all of it is going to be judged. And none of it will be put in to what is the final movement, really, in Scripture, which is new creation. New creation. And so in Revelation 21 and 22, these are the last two books of the Bible, what we see is God creating new, and in this new place, evil does not exist anymore. Here's a piece of it in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as his bride, adorned for her, for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and, he will be, and they will be his people, and God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What we see in the scriptures is, is God ending by telling his people that he will dwell with them, that he will be present with them. Heaven is God being present with those who desire to be with him. That is, that is what heaven is, right? I, you can read a, a ton of books about heaven if, if you want. Um, to be honest, like, uh, everything that we get in Revelations are just kind of, it's just kind of word pictures. Like, it's just us kind of guessing how good it will be. We know some things about heaven. We know that in heaven we will be with God and we will be with the one whom we we're created to be with and we will be whom we we're created to be. We know that there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more death, no more suffering, no more pain. We know that darkness will not exist anymore. There will be nothing to fear. But beyond that, everything else we just give are just kind of images to tell us how good heaven will be. And we just have to hope, we, we hope, right? And we know that because God created us to be in this place that we will be joyful, we will love it. It'll be a, a place where we all, all are redeemed. Right? It's somewhere that we have and can look forward to. Now, what I find very interesting here is that we began in a garden, all right? So you began, like, kind of with agriculture uh, going on. Um, And for most of the world's history, what have we been as people? Farmers, agriculture, that's that's what we do. We live in rural areas. Now, John's vision here, uh, as he sees a new heaven and new earth, It takes place where? In a city. 
the new Jerusalem. Now, I am not predicting Jesus' return, all right? Too many people have done that and been fools. Uh, and so I don't do it. Uh, but for one of the first time in the history of the world, more people live in cities than they live outside of them. Uh, and so this is, this is just, it's just interesting. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's something that we can keep in mind at the moment. But as we look at new creation here, and I just kind of want to show you here again how this all fits together. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, the church, final judgment, and new creation. What we see in new creation is almost recreation. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's almost kind of this false thought uh, that heaven is, is actually just like us going into some spiritual realm up there. But really what heaven is is God returning here and reordering what we have. Like I said, I don't know what that looks like, uh, but this is why we have a new earth over here and not just some type of like spiritual weird picture here. But it's God coming back to us, giving us new life and a place that he has created us to be with people that he has created us to be with, with the God whom wants to be with and who has created us to be with him. Now to be there, to be there. Here's what I want to encourage you to do, is to ask Christ to come into your life and change it. You have to desire for your life to be changed by God by inviting the presence of God into your life. It's interesting here as Revelation ends in chapter 22, this is near the end of it, what we see is a group of people who really desire to be with God. And we see the Spirit with them, and the Spirit is prompting them to say this word, these words. It says, the Spirit and the bride, the bride is just the people of church, the people of the church, the people who desire to be with God. Here's what they are doing as they are waiting for, for God to return and to be with God. They are saying, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, come. Now, if you are thirsty for God, our prayer this morning for you and something I'm just going to encourage you to really desire is for the Lord to come. And living with God is as simple as sincerely asking God to come into your life and change your heart by his love and his grace because he wants to be with you and he wants to live with you forever. Let us pray. Hey, Father, we wrap up this series, and I just pray that we are reminded that although we have inherited our sin nature from Adam, and we act out of this sin nature in many selfish ways, which make us unfit for your perfect community and your perfect creation, we know that in and of ourselves that we can do nothing to change it, but we know that you desire a relationship with us. We have discovered in Jesus that you have provided a way to be with us through the death of your Son that is overwhelming. We thank you for sending your only Son who died on the cross for our sins. And by faith, we humbly accept your offer of forgiveness through Jesus. Today, by your grace, we pray that we accept your vision for our life, 
that can bring us back together for you, with you. Father, we pray that we all align our remaining days of our lives on this earth with your story by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for your new life right now. And we end our prayer and this time together, Father, with just saying, come, Lord Jesus. Come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.